Do you remember when Jay Leno was the host of The Tonight Show? One of the familiar exploits that Jay Leno used to generate laughter was called jaywalking. He would actually leave the studio and go out on the street in New York City and ask random questions on camera to random people. Jaywalking, he called it. One time he went and did this and he asked people to name the Ten Commandments. You know what was a common answer? More than a few people said this, God helps those who help themselves. Where does that come from? That's not even a command. It's a statement. If you recall the Ten Commandments, they appear in Deuteronomy and in the book of Exodus. They were given to Moses to share with God's beloved people soon after the people had been freed from slavery in Egypt. God gave to Moses the Ten Commandments to shape them into a faithful community to worship God, to love God, and to love and live well in God's world. That's the Ten Commandments. There's nothing anywhere close to this idea, God helps those who help themselves, in the Ten Commandments. And to make matters more complicated, the Barna Group, a Christian polling firm, found that better than eight out of ten Americans think that this same statement, God helps those who, helps themsel who help themselves, is indeed in the Bible. And more than half of the people were strongly convinced that this is one of the major messages of the Bible. This idea, God helps those who help themselves, seems to come rather, rather from Greek, Greek mythology, as in the gods help those who help themselves. It's been echoed also by philosophers across the ages, by others, including American writers like Algernon Sidney and Horatio Alger, whose books push people to do their best, you know, to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, to make the most of themselves. Good literature, but not so good theology, maybe. There's lots of literature urging self-help and self-sufficiency, but this sentence, it's not in the Bible. I think on the one hand, we can agree that God wants us to do the very best. To do the very best with the gifts that we've been given. Do the very best with the lives that are ours. But in other ways, this statement, God helps those who help themselves, is absolutely untrue. And worse, it is problematic. So how does this line, God helps those who help themselves, become so popular? How does it get such sincere consideration from faithful people? There, is, there are, indeed, actually a number of teachings in Scripture that call forth the best from us, uh, even helping ourselves. We have these familiar passages 
Jesus says, quote, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's Matthew 5, 20. And then Jesus goes on in chapter 5 and chapter 6 and chapter 7 of Matthew to stress the rigorous demands of living faithfully as disciples. Loving and serving as disciples is hard work. Paul says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And he goes on to say in the same chapter 12 of Romans, love one another, do not lag in zeal, serve the Lord, overcome evil with good. And then we have this from Paul, and it's in the bulletin as the first lesson today from 2 Thessalonians, if you want to read along. For even when we were with you, you gave this command. Anyone unwilling to work should not eat. For we hear that some of you are are living in idleness, mere busybodies, not doing any work. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So you might see, you might guess how These ideas emerge about God helping those who help themselves. We cannot sit idle. We cannot be slackers. We have to apply ourselves, help ourselves, so to speak. God expects lots from us to love and serve in the world as God's people. Benedictine monks use a Latin phrase, and it's called, it says, ora et labora, which means pray and work. Ora et labora. That's a helpful phrase. We cannot just pray and hope that God will take care of everything. We pray, and then we get to work. We pray for the less fortunate, but then we work also to feed them. We feed them every Monday in this very building, and we've done that for decades, because this is what God wants of us, from us. We pray for the needy, and then we work to renovate our space in the basement so that we can have showers and offer showers at least one day a week and maybe more for people who need a shower. We pray and we work. We pray for justice in our courts, and we need to. We pray for many things, but we have to also keep working, keep working and advocating for better laws against gun violence in support of prisoners for fair voting policies, equal treatment under the law for all people, for the environment. We pray and we work. We pray for peace in the Middle East. We pray for peace in Ukraine. But we also have to work for peace. And we have to be speaking out and we have to be demonstrating. We have to do everything we can to say to the world, war rarely helps the world. We pray for an end to the pandemic, but then we work to stay safe. We wear our masks. We work for a vaccine. We get shots. We pray for an end to systemic racism. We do, but we have to keep working. We have to keep learning how much we've all been shaped by a racist culture. We cannot just say we're not racist. I'm not racist. I'm nice to everybody can't say that and and hope it's going to go away we have to keep learning we have to keep understanding we have to keep working for justice and fairness in the city and in the commonwealth and all across the country 
Yet here's the danger. When we keep spouting a message as familiar as God helps those who help themselves, we are tempted into a rationale for even not working. If God helps those who help themselves, we don't have to do the work. We fall into thinking that God helps those who help themselves. We're inclined to wander far away from what God intends for us as God's faithful, serving people. Yet isn't that so familiar? We want to condense life into memorable sound bites. And then before we know it, it's the sound bite that becomes the message. It's the sound bite that all we think about and apply. God helps those who help themselves is a dangerous message. It allows us to perhaps walk right past the needy person on the street or the needy person at the corner when Jesus showed us to look them in the eye with compassion and then work to help them find a better place in life. If we repeat the phrase, God helps those who help themselves, it allows us to lead lives as comfortable Christians. We think whatever we want. We do whatever we do. And yet God is always pushing us out of our comfort, comfort zones, pushing us to grow, pushing us to be engaged, pushing us to be faithful, serving in the world. Do not be conformed, says Paul, but be transformed always by the renewing of your minds. That's how Paul puts it. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law, Jesus says, but to fulfill it. We are to be continually changing and growing and becoming to love and serve God in the world. God comes, you might recall, well, this phrase, to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. We are the instruments that God uses to change the world. You and I, we cannot be idle. We cannot be slackers. We have to be workers in the world for the redemption of the world. So to lean into the phrase, God helps those who help themselves, lets us off the hook. It promotes inaction. It promotes even indifference to God and God's world. Our calling is not to shrug it off. Our calling is not to shirk our faithfulness by saying God helps those who help themselves. Our calling is actually to take special concern to be ever engaged at making the world a better place, ridding the world of racism, helping the poor, caring for the needy, promoting God's joy and justice always in all we do. This message applying our lives, working sincerely for the reign of God, it runs all through Scripture, page after page, all the way back in the book of Leviticus, a book that many of us ignore because it's got so many tedious rules and laws. The book of Exodus even points so refreshingly clear to God's intention that we truly help and serve others. This is what Leviticus says. When you harvest your land's produce, you must not harvest all the way to the edge of your field. Don't gather ever, every remaining bit. Leave it there, those items for the poor and the immigrant. I'm the Lord, your God. 
That's an instructive command, actually. We are to work, and then we are to be compassionate and caring toward the most needy, sharing the blessings of our lives. We are to work and then be generous with what we have because finally all that we have is not ours. It's a gift from God to be shared with everyone for the betterment of the world. In fact, the Bible over and over shows that generosity and compassion for others, especially the needy, it's not optional. Generosity and caring commitment are an important form of worship and obedience to God. Let's look at the other lesson that we have for today. It's also printed in the bulletin. It comes from Isaiah 58. Why do we fast, but you do not see? Why humble yourselves, but you do not notice? Look, you serve your own interests on your fast day, and you oppress all your workers. Look, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day to humble oneself? Is it to bow down the head like a bulrush and to lie in the sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and to not hide yourself from your own kin? Then your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. This is the word of the Lord. It's like that anthem, here am I, send me. Isaiah was disgusted in our passage because the people loved to worship God, but their actions in life were not about serving God. The people thought they could gain God's favor by fasting, by other acts of worship, and God was not, and God is not. Please, when there's no compassion and no attention to the hungry and the needy, the glory of the Lord shines all over us, mostly as we do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with God. This is not about earning our salvation. It's not about trying to gain God's favor for ourselves. It's about living sincerely and generously and with compassion as God's grace and favor cover us so abundantly. God's grace covers us, and then grace intends to flow from us, always and outward, toward others, especially to the needy, the poor, the lonely, the sad, the widow, the orphan, all who need God's abiding care. Other prophets, like Isaiah, keep making this same message Hosea, Amos, Micah, 
others. God cares very little about the feasts and the festivals that we like to celebrate. God cares very little about our worship and our music if our lives do not line up with deep commitments to help others and promote justice for all, to care for the earth, to tend to the things that God is most concerned about. We cannot ever claim God and then ignore God's commands to care for the needy and bring about God's reign. You may have heard the name Shane Claiborne. Shane, Shane Claiborne has emerged basically as a Christian prophet in these times. He leads a ministry in Philadelphia called The Simple Way, and he also heads up this group called the Red Letter Christians, people who take seriously the things that Jesus said. Red Letter Christians. This is what Shane Claiborne says, among other things. The more I get to know Jesus, the more trouble he seems to get me into. And that word trouble is like the word used by John Lewis, meaning good trouble. Good trouble that brings justice. Good trouble that brings compassion to more people. We cannot be idle. This is what God calls forth from all of us. It's not that God helps those who help themselves. No. It's more the truth that God expects us to work, really work, for God's purposes in the world. Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it like this, your yes to God requires your no to all the injustices, all the evils, all the lies, all the oppression, all violations of the weak and poor. Your yes to God means your no to all of that. Imagine that. Imagine that. We can't be idle. God has a high calling for us, especially comfortable Christians. We can't be passive or settled into comfortable Christianity. We're called to live lives engaged with God and for God in the world. Today we come to this table, the Lord's table. It's set before us. It's beautiful. Bread and cup to feed us. Today, as you partake of this meal, think about your life and think about how you might need to be fed so that you can be more passionate and more purposeful and more courageous in loving and serving God. As you come to receive, think about your life giving to God justice, purpose, and peace, serving God in the world. May it be so. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, you bless us so abundantly, and you keep calling us to abundant life, serving you, bringing about your promised reign. Fill us with your presence. Feed us in every way so that we can follow Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.